0: I can tell you this morning the absolute, hands-down, most important thing you need to know about New Year's resolutions. I can do that this morning. You're going to hear it from me. And I am not an innovation consultant, and I don't need help from the Opinion Corporation of Princeton, New Jersey. I can tell you the most important thing you need to know about New Year's resolutions. Here it is. Write it down in your notes. Tweet it. Get your phone out. Get ready to put this out for everybody to read, New Year's resolutions are easy to make but hard to keep. How many of you know that's true? New Year's resolutions are easy to make but hard to keep. And here's why. So much of the time, New Year's resolutions are nothing more than half-hearted acknowledgments. of things we need to change or improve in our lives. But the problem is there's no real sense of determination or no real sense of commitment when it comes to follow through. Resolutions in and of themselves are a good idea. It's good to examine our lives. It's good to identify areas in our lives that need improvement. It's always good to strive to be better. But making a change isn't nearly as easy as acknowledging the need for a change. And so let me spend a little bit of time with you today talking about one thing, not the only thing, certainly not the only thing, but let me spend a little bit of time talking to you about one thing that can help you experience real, significant, and lasting change in this new year, and here it is, it's the way you think. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about the way you think. Norman Vincent Peale once said, change your thoughts and you change the world. Now, I doubt that's 100% original with him. In fact, I think he probably got a lot of that from the Apostle Paul who wrote these words in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I'll put them up on the screen for you to see. Paul writes and says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And here's the key part. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, be transformed. Don't be like the world. Be different. Be transformed By the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The first step to changing your life is changing the way you think. That's what I want us to understand today. My kids, for their entire life, have heard me say this one thing to them over and over again. From the time they were old enough to really be able to comprehend and absorb what I was telling them, I've said this one thing to them over and over again. I've said, if you want your life to change, you need to change. Think about that with me for a moment. If you want your life to change, and all of us, at least on some level, at some point in our lives, have wanted our lives to change. I say, if you want your life to change, you need to change. And really what I wanted to communicate with that is this idea that if you want your life to change, you can't just sit around wishing and hoping that somehow, magically, circumstances around you will change to make your life better. If you're just waiting for circumstances around you, things that are completely out of your control to change to make your life better, you're probably going to be waiting forever. If you want your life to change, then on some level, in some way, you need to change. And the first area where we need to change that will impact our lives is we need to change the way we think. Now, this means so much more, friends, than just deciding one day, like on the first day of a brand new year, it means so much more than just deciding, I'm going to be a positive thinker, because you can't positive think your way to a new life. You can't. You can't do it. No matter what any television preacher or evangelist tells you, you cannot positive think your way to a new life. That's not how it works. We all are familiar with the saying, uh, the glass is half full or the glass is half empty, right? Right? We all are familiar with that. You know, he's a, he's a glass-half-full kind of guy, or he's a glass-half-empty kind of guy. So the idea is you got an eight-ounce glass that's filled with four ounces of water, and somebody looks at it and says it's half-full, and we say he's a positive thinker. Another person looks at it and says it's half-empty, we say he's a negative thinker. Okay? Well, listen, we need to be more than a positive thinker. We need to be, write this down in your notes, we need to be action-oriented thinkers. That's, in fact, the term I want you to remember for this new year. It's not original with me. I didn't come up with it, but it's the one that fits the context of what we're talking about today. It's not not enough just to be a positive thinker. We need to be action-oriented thinkers, every one of us. This is what will help our lives to change. And so you've got this glass, and, uh, you know, it's an eight-ounce glass. It's got four ounces of water, and somebody says it's half full. He's a... Positive thinker, somebody says it's half empty, he's a negative thinker. But what an action oriented thinker does is he looks at it and says, That glass is half full, it looks like it needs water. He gets up, goes up, picks it up, takes it to the tap, and fills it all the way up. You see the difference? And this is what we all need to be we need to be action oriented thinkers. We need to take action in our lives. If you look at your life right now as we stand on the cusp of a brand new year and you think of your life like a glass and you think my glass is half, only half full, then you need to decide to take some action. Well nobody, nobody in the Bible epitomized the reality of what it means to be an action-oriented thinker better or more than the Apostle Paul. When you read his New Testament writings, when you read his New Testament epistles or letters, you see a lot of things about him. You can tell a lot of things about him. He was a man of faith. There's no question about that. I believe when you read the letters and the epistles of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, it's clear that he was a positive thinker. You can't read some of his letters and not see that. For example, read the letter of Philippians sometime today. It's only four chapters long. Just read the letter of Philippians. You can't read that letter and not say, "Yeah, that that Apostle Paul was a positive thinker. Above all else, he was a man of faith. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to look in Philippians chapter 3 in a great, great passage of Scripture from Paul, and we're going to see some instructions from Him that can teach us how we can be the right kind of thinkers, how we can be action-oriented thinkers as we stand on the cusp of a new year, and how the things that can result from being action-oriented thinkers can change our lives in a positive way. So having said that, you got your Bible with you? If you do, stand together with me right now in reverence and respect for God's Word like we always do. We love, everyone say love, love to make the public reading of Scripture a part of our service. Everybody say amen. Amen. In fact, if you, go, if you ever have to move away here and you go and you look for a new church somewhere, the first thing you look for, first two things you look for, did they read the scripture any, at any point out loud in the service? That You don't necessarily have to stand, but did they open up their Bible and read the scripture? And number two, did they pray in the service? And if the church you're visiting doesn't read the scripture, doesn't pray, then don't go back. Somebody say Amen. Don't go back. Don't go back, okay? I'm not trying to be harsh or cruel, but I'm just saying time is too precious. Don't waste it someplace that doesn't put an emphasis on the truth of God's word. All right. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12, Philippians chapter 3. You follow along. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus.' All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. All right, there it is. You can be seated, and we always pray God's blessing on the reading. And the hearing of his word. I apologize that you don't have any formal outline in your insert this morning, but because of the holidays, we had to print these bulletins a couple weeks ago. And a couple weeks ago, I didn't have any idea what I was gonna talk to you about today, so I said, just put a blank insert in there. But I'm gonna give you three things, okay? I'm gonna give you three things this morning. Three changes that we can all make, we all need to make with regard to the way we think in this coming new year that can really make a difference in our lives. The first one is this, put down a number one on your blank insert and right next to it, think long-term goals, not short-term resolutions. That's number one. Think long-term goals, not short-term resolutions. I'm not saying there's no place for short-term resolutions in our lives, but if you want to create significant and lasting change in your life, then you've got to develop the ability to think long-term. You've got to develop the ability in your life, everybody think about this, to step back and look down the road and see the big picture. You've got to see your life in terms of goals, what you want to accomplish over the long haul and why. Let me give you an example of how that can apply to our lives, and not necessarily the greatest example, but it does the job. Let's say that you're standing on this cusp of a new year. It's January 1st, 2017, and you decide you want to quit smoking, okay? If that's, I'm not trying to beat up people who smoke. That's not in my heart. That's not my intention, but if you're a smoker, that would be a great, great decision for you to make in 2017, because that would be a great improvement for your health. And so, you do it. Man, you're serious about it. You bite the bullet. You you go hardcore and you throw out the cigarettes and you give up smoking. The only problem is, is that to compensate for the cravings you have now uh, that you're not smoking, you start eating everything inside, especially sweets. And six months down the road from now, now we're in July the 1st, 2017, you're not a smoker, that's the good news, but you've gained 50 pounds and you look in the mirror and you don't even have any idea who that is looking back at you. Now, what have you done, folks? Seriously, what have you really done? What have you honestly done? You've just given one up one health problem for another. And, and you might be so discouraged with the fact that you've put on 50 pounds that in the end you think, you know what, I'd rather be a smoker than be overweight and so you go back to smoking and you didn't accomplish anything. What would have been the better choice back on January first, 2017? What would be the choice that an action-oriented thinker would make? What would be the choice of someone who thinks long-term goals, not short-term resolutions? Well, that person on January the first, twenty seventeen, says, I want in 2017, I want to be a healthier me. I want to be a healthier person. And that being healthy is not related to just one thing. It's related to smoking, yes. It's related to the way you eat. It's related to uh, exercise or a lack of exercise. And you can go on and on and on. It's related to how much sleep you get at night. So many different things impact our health. That would be a better choice. That's what an action-oriented thinker would do. That's what somebody who thinks long-term goals, not short-term resolutions, would do. Let's think of it in terms of spiritual health, because that's why we're here this morning. We're here to learn spiritual truth. We're here to grow in spiritual knowledge and spiritual truth. So let's think about it, the same thing, from a spiritual perspective. I know a lot of Christians, and maybe this describes you. I know a lot of Christians who come to the beginning of a new year, and they have a desire in their life to make some kind of a resolution that says, I'm going to uh, give up or get rid of some kind of sin in my life. Maybe it's a hidden sin that nobody besides you and God knows about. Or you come to, you know, January 1st, 2017, said, I'm going to give up some kind of a sinful habit in my life. Now, first of all, if that desire if that describes you, then I applaud you. That is the absolute right decision to make. That is the absolute right thing to do. But if you're really going to be successful at this, and here, here's, here's how somebody who is, a, who is an action-oriented thinker would approach this. Here's how somebody who thinks long-term goals, not short-term solutions would approach this. If you're really going to be successful at this, then before you do anything else, you need to stop and you need to ask yourself one question. And it's a simple question. It's the question, why? Why? Why do you want to get rid of that sin Why do you want to get rid of that sinful habit? Is it because it's embarrassing? Sometimes sin is embarrassing, and that's why we keep it hidden. Is it because it's inconvenient? Sometimes sin is inconvenient, you know, and we become so addicted to sin or so captured by sin that it disrupts our lives in a variety of different ways. Is it because it's threatening your life somehow? Maybe it's a sin that's threatening your marriage. Maybe it's a sin that's threatening your family. Maybe it's a sin that's threatening your job, your work, your career, your profession. It could be a number of different things. The thing you need to do is you need to ask yourself the question, why? And this is the way you need to answer that question. You're going to get rid of that sin. You're going to get rid of that sinful habit because you want, in this new year, you want every single part of your life to be pleasing to God. That's the why. You want every single part of your life to be pleasing to God. That's what it means to think long-term not short-term. That's what it means to see the big picture. That's what it means to be an action-oriented thinker. We, when we make decisions, when we set goals or resolutions, we begin by asking the question, why? And it's the answer to the question, why, that helps us accomplish what it is we want accomplish that helps us change what it is we want to change that helps us to press on and persevere when it gets difficult to reach our goal now I think you see an example of that in Philippians chapter 3 in fact look back down there at Philippians chapter 3 got your Bibles open there still we read verses 12 through 17 a moment ago. All right. I'm going to go back a little bit further and I'm going to read verses 10 and 11 and then we're going to flow into the very first part of our text, which was 12 through 17. I'm going to go back, read verses 10 and 11, and then we're going to flow in basically to 12 through, verse 12, 13, the first part of verse 14. Look at what Paul says in verses uh, 10 and 11. Okay. What's well, a powerful statement by Paul? He said, I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, that's so significant, I'm going to read it again. It's up on the screen. You can look at it. But I want, I want us to, you know, by the way, everybody look up here. You know the very best way to learn the Bible? We have a problem in, in the world today, in America today, with, in church, with people who don't know the Bible. You know the absolute very best way to learn the Bible is through repetition. Is it no better way? It's not rocket science. It's through hearing it and reading it over and over and over again. I'm going to read it again, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, let me just tell you what that is on the most practical level. That is Paul identifying the why, the why for every choice and decision or resolution or goal in his life. That's him identifying the why. And I could describe what he means there in verses 10 and 11 in a variety of different ways. We could spend a lot of time talking about it, but if I were to summarize it, I will tell you this. What Paul's telling us in verses 10 and 11 is that this is the desire of his life. He wants to know and experience the absolute fullness of Christ so that he can become more like Christ. That's what Paul's saying in verses 10 and 11. I want to know and experience the absolute fullness of Christ. Everyone say fullness. Fullness of Christ so that I can be more like Christ. Okay, so he's identifying the desire of his life, the why behind his uh, his choices and decisions, the motivation of his life. And then he goes on into verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying toward what is ahead, I press on. He said, I press on. Now, Paul didn't press on toward this desire to experience the fullness of Christ, to become like Christ so that he can impress other people. He did it because that was the desire of his life, to experience Christ and to be like him. That was his only motivation. When you make a resolution for the future or you set a goal for the future, the first question you have to answer is why? Because the answer to that question will give you the motivation and the courage and the strength to press on toward that goal. That means... We need to think in terms of long-term goals, not short-term resolutions, long-term goals. Now, this is what we all need to do on practical levels in our lives. You know what? Every year, every year when we come to the end of one year and the beginning of another year, I know that there are a lot of people, not just here in our church, but a lot of people everywhere, who become a little bit overwhelmed and concerned about their financial condition in life. Because the truth is, statistics tell us that most people's financial lives are out of control. You know, it's either because you're so deeply in debt that you don't think you can ever climb out of that hole or it's because you're so deeply in debt you don't even know how much you owe. You, you, you don't even, you know, how many of you know sometimes you don't ask questions because you're afraid to hear the answer? You don't want to know how deeply you are in debt because you're afraid to know because it's gonna be overwhelming to you. You're you're living you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're robbing from Peter to pay Paul, and you have no freedom in your life when it comes to finances. Well, listen, if that's the case, you need to you need to make some changes in your life, but you're not gonna change your life with some short-term resolution. You're not gonna change your financial life by saying, you know what, I'm gonna not eat out as much next year, or I'm gonna be more careful with my credit cards next year, or something like that. You need to think long-term goals, not short-term resolutions, and here at Mount Pleasant, we can help you do that, because we have this ministry called Financial Freedom Ministry, and every year in that Financial Freedom Ministry, at different times through the year, we offer two different classes. One is called Financial Peace University, and the other one is called The Legacy Journey. Both of them come from Dave Ramsey. I'm sure you've heard of Dave Ramsey. He's like the financial it guy uh, in in our country today. Now, both of those classes are getting ready to start in just a matter of days here in January. And I know that there are people listening to me talk right now who have felt convicted in their heart to do this in the past. But you've let your pride, you've let your fear, you've let any number of other things keep you from doing that. You need to get over it and you need to do it now because it's a part of being an action-oriented thinker. I'm thinking long-term goals, not short-term resolutions. Financial Peace University is a nine-week class. Everyone say Nine weeks. Nine weeks. Nine weeks that can change your life. It's a nine-week class that helps you learn practical, biblical principles on how you can get from where you are financially today to where you've always dreamed you can be. It can change your life and change your family. Nine weeks. Don't think short-term resolutions. Think long-term goals. This is important. Legacy Journey is another great class. It's seven weeks. Everyone say seven weeks. Seven weeks. Seven weeks of your life. And it's a class based on biblical principles to teach you how you can leave a genuine, lasting legacy to your family. A part of that is a financial legacy. You can leave a lasting uh, legacy to your family for generations to come. It'll teach you how to maximize what you have, what God has entrusted to you. It'll teach you how to safeguard what God has entrusted to you. It'll teach you how to be generous with what God has entrusted to you. But most of all, it'll teach you how to bless your family with what God has entrusted to you. There's a great book, verse, in Proverbs 13, 22. It's not on the screen. Listen to me. It's the first part of verse uh, 22 in chapter 13 of Proverbs. It says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That means a good Man, a wise man, a righteous man, however you want to phrase it, leaves a legacy to his family, to his family. Now, that's an important thing to me. I want to I leave a, a legacy to my family. I want to leave a spiritual legacy. I want to leave a financial legacy to my family. My, in fact, Sandy and I are already doing that with our grandkids. We have, we've got custodial accounts for our grandkids that we set up to the Solomon Foundation. We deposit money in it every week. You know how we're able to do that? We're able to do that not because we're wealthy but because we manage the money God has entrusted to us well. And everybody can learn to do that. Everybody Now, if you're looking at your financial condition, you're just thinking short-term resolutions to take a little bit of the weight of guilt off your shoulders, you're just going to feel worse next year. A year from now, you're going to feel worse. But if you think long-term solutions and you're an action-oriented thinker, then when the service is over today, you'll stop by the financial freedom ministry table in the commons or you'll log onto our website and you'll sign up to be involved in one of those classes today. Listen, you want your life to change You need to change, and the first thing you need to change is how you think. You need to think long-term goals, not short-term resolutions. Okay? Write down a number two and put these words next to number two. Think progress, not perfection. Think progress, not perfection. Now, obviously, uh, perfection is the objective in any New Year's resolution because whatever it is we want to do, we want to do it consistently, we want to do it well, we want to be successful. You know, if I want to quit yelling at my kids, I want to quit yelling at them all the time, not just every other day. (laughs) We want to experience some level of perfection. But the problem is this. We need to focus on progress rather than perfection because the truth is very few people accomplish their goals overnight it's not that easy. And most of us, when we set resolutions or we set goals, they're pretty significant things. And creating lasting change takes time. That's another lesson that we learned from the Apostle Paul. He, he knew that change didn't happen overnight, and uh, so he knew that he had to press on and not give up. Now again, remember? Remember I told you the most important way to learn the Bible is through repetition? Listen to this again, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ. Jesus Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. I press on. That's what Paul says. You know what that is? That's focusing and thinking about progress, not perfection. What Paul is saying is day after day after day, I keep moving forward. I might not be perfect now, but I keep pressing on toward the mark. That's the way action-oriented thinkers think. They think progress, not perfection. And here's a very simple reason why. In fact, write this down in your notes or in your margin of your Bible somewhere. Write this down. Perfection doesn't lead to action. Perfection doesn't lead to action. Now, why do I say that? I say that because I know people, and I bet you you know people like this as well, and maybe you're this person. I know people who say, if I can't do it perfectly, I don't want to do it at all. You're somebody who says, if I can't do this a certain way, to a certain quality, to a certain level, right from the beginning, I don't want to do it. I don't want to set myself up for failure. I don't want to set myself up for for, uh, frustration. If I can't do it perfect, I don't want to do it at all. Well, listen, that's just... I was gonna say stupid, but I'll say foolish. That sounds like a better church word. <laughs> That's just foolish. I understand it, listen, seriously. I understand that train of thought. I understand that. And, and certain people are just wired that way because they focus on, on detail so much. But success in any area of life doesn't happen overnight. So you've got to keep pressing on. You've got to think progress, not perfection. perfection oftentimes will not lead to any action. I didn't intend this to be about money uh, this morning, but let me just use another example from money. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, it kind of communicates the same principle. You know, a lot of people today have a problem in their life financially because they never save any money. You know, I, I read these statistics all the time that say, you know, people, people don't have enough savings. The majority of people in our country don't have enough savings to, to, to uh, cover a, an emergency uh, that came up that cost a $1,000. They don't have an emergency savings to do that. So some kind of a, a big medical bill or some kind of a big car repair bill or home repair bill just throws you into free fall when it comes to finances. Listen, I, I understand that that's the reality for a lot of people. And one of the reasons why people don't ever save money is because, and I know this for a fact because I've had this conversation multiple times with people, is because they think that the little they have to save is not enough to make a difference, so why bother? And so it's the same, it's the same kind of a principle here. Think progress, not perfection. So it's the idea, if I can't save a lot of money, then why bother saving a little money? Well, let me tell you why. Here's a great verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11. It won't show up on the screen, so just remember this. The proverb writer says, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little, everyone say little by little, little by little makes it grow. Dishonest money, and the idea, look at me, the idea behind dishonest money is more of this concept of trying to get rich quick. Okay, that's, that's more the idea. Okay, so it's like, you know, my, my rich uncle that I never knew dies, and so I don't feel bad because I never knew him, but he's left me a lot of money. Or I buy the winning ticket, you know, in the lottery or whatever. This, this is the idea. This is a get-rich-quick scheme, you know. I can get what I want today without really having to put any effort into it. So dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little... Makes it grow. Little by little makes it grow. It doesn't matter if, to, if all you have to save today is a little bit of money. Listen, over the course of ta- co- time, with the power of compounding interest, if you don't know what that is, then you go home and learn about what th- that is today. A little bit of money over the course of time, with the power of compounding money uh, or interest, can turn into a lot of money. He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Okay? You've got to think about progress, not perfection That's what an action-oriented thinker does because nobody changes their life overnight. You've got to press on. All right? Number three. Let me give you a third thing that I learned from here. And, and obviously, we see that in Paul's life there again when he talked about how because he wanted to know and experience the fullness of Christ so he could become more like Christ, he recognized that he hadn't already obtained it, but the bottom line is he said, I press on you measure progress, not perfection. You think progress, not perfection. Number three, think about the how, not just the what. Write that down. Write a number three and write down, think about the how, not just the what. When it comes to making resolutions or setting goals, the, the what part is easy because we all know what we want. I mean, if I came down and I asked you, what's one thing that you really want in 2017, chances are you could tell me at least one thing, and probably most of us could say multiple things. So identifying the what is the easy part. The problem is how it happens. The problem is how we get there. It's easy to say, I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great wife. I want to be a great parent. I want to experience financial freedom. I want to live a faithful and God-honoring life. It's easy to say what we want. The hard part is how we're going to do it, how we're going to develop a strategy to get from where we are right now to where we want to be. And so, just setting a goal or making a New Year's resolution is not going to change your life. You've got to to have a map to get there. And the more specific the map is, the better. Let's just by sake of example, for sake of example, let's just say that, that you... Your, your goal in 2017 is to be a great parent, and even more specific, you want to have a great relationship with your children. Let's say that you're somebody whose children are still at home, and uh, they're growing up so fast... I mean, you—you you you know, one day you're feeding them in the high chair. The next day they're driving down the road going to college. I mean, it just felt like you blinked and that's how it, because that's how it happens. And we all understand that. And so you're thinking, you know, this little limited window of time is closing on me. And I want to make sure that I take advantage of this time to have the absolute best relationship with my children that I can possibly have. Well, what you need to do is you need to sit down. You need to write out how is that going to happen plan? So, I, I just wrote some things down. I'm sure you can come up with some better things. So, let me just give you some examples. You might write down, say, three times a week. I'm going to spend an hour alone with each of my children doing something with them that they love to do. And so, that's what you do. Let's maybe have two or three children. If so, one of them likes to watch television. You're going to watch television with them for an hour. Some silly, stupid show that you would never watch on your own. But you're going you're to uh, watch that with your children. I shouldn't have said stupid again. I'm sorry. But you're going to watch that with them. Or, you know, maybe, they're, maybe they love art, and you, and, you, and you get involved in some kind of an art project with them. Maybe they like to kick a ball, throw a ball, catch a ball, play a ball, shoot a ball, whatever it is, and you spend an hour doing that. Maybe it's not something that you're interested in, but you choose to do that. Next thing you write down, it says, one day a week, I'm going to do their chores with them, so we'll have a chance to talk while we work. It'll, they'll be happy that I'm helping them, and it'll give us a chance to talk. One day a week, or no, excuse me, every day of the week, I'm going to pray for my children by name. I got, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. To get, if I have to get up earlier than I normally get up, I'm going to get up earlier and I'm going to pray. I'm going to commit to praying for each one of my children by name every day, praying that I can have a great relationship with them. Maybe you say, I'm going to make it a point to be uplifting with my children before they leave for school. And I'm not going to use that time to nag or complain. I know what that time can be like. Get up, Get dressed eat your breakfast, the the bus is leaving, come on, whatever it might be, and it just turns into, ah, like that, and say, I don't want it to be that way. That's not nurturing a great relationship. So I'm going to make sure that I use that time not to nag or complain. If there's an issue that comes up that needs to be dealt with, we'll deal with it later when we have more time to discuss it. You might write down, every day I'm going to look for opportunities to give my children genuine, deserved praise. You might write down, every day I'm going to identify... The skills and the interests and the talents of my children, I'm going to support their pursuit of those things. You might write down, I'm going to take my children to church every week. The more specific the map on how you get to what you want, the better. And that's the way action-oriented thinkers Approach life. I think you see examples of that in our text. You know, with the Apostle Paul, uh, he he kind of gives uh, instructions to the Philippian Christians on how they can grow spiritually. He said that's what he wanted to do, grow spiritually. He wanted to know and experience the fullness of Christ so he could become like Christ. And he gives them instructions on how they could do the same. I look over to verse 16 and 17, for example. He says, just two brief statements. First of all, he says to them, only let us live up to what we have already attained. He's saying, you know, wanna, you want to grow spiritually? Here's the here's first thing you need to do to grow spiritually. Don't stop doing what you've already been doing to get where you are now, okay? Don't stop going to worship. Don't stop praying. Don't stop reading the scriptures. Don't stop, whatever it might be, don't stop. Only keep, keep doing that. And then in verse 17, he says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. He said, you want to grow spiritually? Follow, the exam- follow my example and the example of other spiritual leaders. See, that's kind of a roadmap. Now This is something the Apostle Paul was really good at. He was really good at telling people <clears throat> what they needed to do and then giving them a roadmap for how to do it. For example, in my, as I got my Bible open to Philippians 3, the last part of the chapter, I can just look down the page to chapter 4. If you can do the same, look down there with me and look at chapter 4 and verse 6. In chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul begins by saying, do not be anxious about anything. All right, everybody look up here at me. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Anybody here ever struggle with anxiety or worry? Anybody here ever have a day when they don't struggle with anxiety or worry on some level? This is a very real problem for all of us. Now, if, if you're somebody who's managed to transcend that, then God bless you. You're a, you're a spiritual freak of nature, and I'd like to learn more about how you do that because that's not me, okay? But I applaud you, man. I celebrate that. I think that's awesome. But the truth is most of us struggle on some level with anxiety. And worry. So Paul says in verse 6, Don't be anxious about anything. Okay, great. Just pile it on, Paul. Just pile it on. Remind me. Remind me of how I'm failing in my spiritual life. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He tells us how. He tells us how not to be anxious. Because he goes on to say in verse 6... Uh, don't be anxious about anything, he goes on but say, and says, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what's he say? He says, don't be anxious instead. What's he say that we should do? In one word, what's it? Pray. He tells us how to... Overcome anxiety and worry. But that's not all. He goes on in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. First thing he says to do is pray. Second thing he does is he says, Fill your mind with the right kinds of thoughts. You know, crowd out that anxiety and that worry by putting the right kinds of thoughts in your head. But that's not all. Look at verse 9. He says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He says, pray. He says, fill your mind with the right kind of thoughts. And the second thing he says is, follow others' examples, godly people's examples. I read one time Rick Warren, who's a pastor in California, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. I'm sure you've heard of that book, The Purpose Driven Life, sold millions of copies, one of the best sellers ever. When he was a boy, he said that he would go to church, and he would always take notes when he went to church. And every time a preacher would say some Statement that really stood out to him, he would write down his notes and then in parentheses he would write these three letters next to it, capital letters. He would say, He would write Y B H. Y B H. And to him, that stood for yes, but how. So if a preacher said, Don't worry about anything, don't be anxious about anything, yes, but how. But in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is how an action-oriented thinker approaches life. You know, the what is easy for us because we all know what we want to be. We all know what we want to do. It's the how part that we need to focus our attention on. All right. Well, Brian, you can come. We'll bring this to a close. You want to create lasting change in your life in 2017? You want this year to be a different year? Then you need to change yourself. You need to change, and it starts with changing the way you think. Paul tells us to do it like this. He says, number one, think long-term goals, not short-term resolutions. Think long-term goals not short-term resolutions. Number two, think progress, not perfection. Don't let the desire of perfection paralyze you and keep you from doing anything today. Focus on the progress, not the perfection. And number three, think about the how, not just the what. Yes, but how. I want to be a great husband. Yes, but how. I want to be a great wife. Yes, but how. I want to be a great parent. Yes, but how. I want to be a faithful servant. Yes, but how? And the more specific you are, the better it will be. All right? Make sense? Everybody say, makes sense.